Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, February 10th episode. That's episode 163, I believe, of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcast over at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. Um, definitely would recommend it. There are some great podcasts over there. You will not go wrong over there. Um I'm listening to some from over there. Only reason I'm not listening to more is because I don't have the time in the day. Um, but it's definitely worth your while. Um, I also want to point you again at the last link in our show notes. It is the link for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Excuse me. We're striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classical education-based school to provide an alternative for our community. Um, so... Um, what we would ask, you know, go ahead and click on the link over and read. It'll give, give you a more thorough description than what I have and tell you where we're headed. Um, and what we would ask of you is three things. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same thing. Um, I do want to let you know, so we're starting to, starting to get to the end of the notes and research that I had done long before starting, um, this podcast. Um, so I've been working through stuff I had already prepared and notes I had already taken. <clears throat> so we're starting to get to the point where I'm having to try to study ahead and write stuff down. And I want to continue in our Bible study, our evening times, I want to continue going through John. But what I may end up having to do, um, I've been speaking with my pastor and we've thought of some alternatives to help out. What I may end up doing is work to a certain point in the gospel of John, and then we'll take a break from that and we'll do some other stuff. We've talked about doing some Puritan readings. Um, definitely would love to expose you to the Puritans, uh, maybe Pilgrim's Progress, which is just, just wonderful. I've read it a few times and I, I'm just looking forward to read it again. I'm actually hoping to do a study on it soon, uh, be part of a study on it soon. Um, and there are some others as well, um, that it, I would be doing nightly readings, you know, relatively short chapters. They wouldn't be really, really long, but we may try that out as well. So just wanted to let you know, I'll let you know before it comes up, but I just wanted you to be aware that there may be some adjustments. Um, we, we will look to come back to the Bible study, but what that'll do is give me some time to prepare some stuff out ahead. And maybe I can schedule where I'll, where I'll do work, you know, so far, and then we'll shift over and then we'll shift back and just, you know, make a pattern of it. So maybe even there's some variety, there's maybe some variety for everybody. So, all right, with all of that said, let's go ahead and get into our Bible study or our Bible reading for this morning. Uh, we'll go ahead and open up like we always do on a Friday with the six day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. <clears throat> let's pray. Oh, thou most high, Creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. 
Thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place excuse me, and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, now our morning devotion for February 10th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is Philippians 4.12. I know how to abound. There are many who know how to be abased, who, who have not learned how to abound. When they are set upon the top of a pinnacle, their heads grow dizzy, and they are ready to fall. The Christian far oftener disgraces his profession in prosperity than in adversity. It is a dangerous thing to be prosperous. The crucible of adversity is a less severe trial to the Christian than the refining pot of prosperity. Oh, what leanness of soul and neglect of spiritual things have been brought on through the very mercies and bounties of God. Yet this is not a matter of necessity, for the apostle tells us that he knew how to abound. When he had much, he knew how to use it. Abundant grace enabled him to bear abundant prosperity. When he had a full sail, he was loaded with much ballast, and so floated safely. It needs more than human skill to carry the brimming cup of mortal joy with a steady hand. Yet Paul had learned that skill, had learned that skill, for he, wow, well, I lost my, my place here. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um... There we go. Yet Paul had learned that skill, for he declares, in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. It is a divine lesson to know how to be full, for the Israelites were full once. But while the flesh was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them. Many have asked for mercies that they might satisfy their own heart's lust. Fullness of bread has often made fullness of blood, and that was brought on want, and that has brought on wantonness of spirit. When we have much of God's providential mercies, it often happens that we have but little of God's grace and little gratitude for the bounties we have received. We are full and we forget God. Satisfied with earth, we are content to do without heaven. Rest assured, it is harder to know how to be full than it is to know how to be hungry. So desperate is the tendency of human nature to pride and forgetfulness of God. Take care that you ask in your prayers that God would teach you how to be full. Let, the, let not the gifts thy love bestows estrange our hearts from thee. All right. Sorry about that. I really lost my place there. <clears throat> All right. Now we're getting into our reading this morning. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll move on. So Exodus 30, chapter 11. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Yahweh also spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a price of atonement for himself to Yahweh, when you number them, so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty jiras, half a shekel as a contribution to Yahweh. Everyone who is numbered from twenty years old and over shall give the contribution to Yahweh. The rich shall not pay more, and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel when you give the contribution to Yahweh to make atonement for your souls. And you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel, and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may be a remembrance for the sons of Israel before Yahweh, to make atonement for your souls. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its stand of bronze, for washing, and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. And Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they come into the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water, so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to Yahweh. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they will not die. And it will be a perpet- and it shall be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his seed throughout their generation. Moreover, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, take for yourself the finest of spices, a flowing myrrh, five hundred shekels, and a fragrant cinnamon, half as much, two hundred and fifty, and a fragrant cane, two hundred and fifty, and of cassia, five hundred, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen. And you shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil, and with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils, and the laver and its stand. You shall also set them apart as holy, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons. And you shall set them apart as holy, that they may minister as priests to me. And you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same specifications. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it, or whoever puts any of it on the layman, shall be cut off from his people." Then Yahweh said to Moses, Take for yourself fragrant stacti, I'm sorry, fragrances, stacti, and onica, and galbanum, fragrances with pure frankincense. There shall be an equal part of each. With it you shall make incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You You shall beat some of it very fine, and you shall put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meaning, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same specifications for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for Yahweh. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. In Exodus 31, uh, we're going to read through to verse 18. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in discernment, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood in order for him to work in all kinds of craftsmanship.' 
And behold, I myself have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are wise at heart, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, and the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat upon it, and all the furniture of the tent, the table also, and its utensils, and the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt, of burnt offering also with all its utensils, and the laver and its stand, the woven garments as well, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons, with which to minister as priests the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They shall make them according to all that I have commanded you. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak, I'm sorry, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and, your th and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh, who makes you holy. Therefore you shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Six days' work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. When he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Now Matthew 26, verses 47 through 68. I'm assuming that's to the end of the chapter, but I may be wrong. All right, Matthew six, or Matthew 26, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, and with him was a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Therefore, how will the scripture be fulfilled, which says that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place in order that the scriptures of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the sanctuary of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What are these men testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. 
And the high priest said to him, I put you under oath by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You yourself said it. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his garment and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, O Christ, who is the one who hit you? All right. Psalm 32, verse 1 through 11. Um, that's the whole psalm. Of David, a mascal. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not cover up. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let every holy one pray to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not teach him. You are my hiding place. You guard me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will give you insight and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose harness are bit and bridle to control them. Otherwise they will not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in Yahweh, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. All right, and Proverbs 8, verses 27 through 32, and then I'll deal with my dog. Um, all right, here we go. When he established the, established the heavens, I was there. When he marked out a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became strong, when he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water would not pass over his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily and I was a daily delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, my delight is in the sons of men. So now, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. All right. Well, that has been our reading for the day. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, I would definitely encourage you and implore you, as I usually do, to go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. And um, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The one we're going to close out with is called, is titled, Love to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if I love thee, my soul shall seek thee. But can I seek thee unless my love to thee is kept alive to this end? Do I love thee because thou art good and canst alone do me good? It is fitting thou shouldst not regard me, for I am vile and selfish, yet I seek thee. And when I find thee, there is no wrath to devour me, but only sweet love. Thou dost stand as a rock between the scorching sun and my soul, and I live under the cool lee side as one elect. When my mind acts without thee, it spins nothing but deceit and delusion. When my affections act without thee, nothing is seen but dead works. Oh, how I need thee to abide in me, for I have no natural eyes to see there. 
but I live by faith in one whose face to me is brighter than a thousand suns. When I see that all sin is in me, all shame belongs to me, let me know that all good is in thee, all glory is thine. Keep me from the error of thinking thou dost, dost appear glorious when some strange light fills my heart, as if that were the glorious activity of grace. But let me see that the truest revelation of thyself is when thou dost, dost eclipse all my personal glory and all the honor, pleasure, and good of this world. The sun breaks out in glory when he shows himself as one who outshines all creation, makes men poor in spirit, and helps them to find their good in him. Grant that I may distrust myself to see my all in thee. Amen. All right, you have yourself a great day. And again, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, uh, February 10th episode. That's episode 163 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Faith Comes From Hearing, um, I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a, a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcast over at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. And I would definitely encourage you to go over there and find some wonderful, wonderful listening, listening that will definitely do great things for you. It would definitely um, fulfill you. Um, so I would definitely encourage it. So let's go ahead. We're going to be continuing on in our study and John chapter six, but let's go ahead and open up with prayer. Uh, the one we're going to use from Valley vision is called retrospect and prospect retrospect and prospect. Let's pray. Supreme ruler of the visible and invisible worlds. My heart is drawn out to thee for thy amazing grace and condescension. Thou hast kept my conversion fresh before me, that season of my first spiritual comfort, when I passed through the Red Sea, by a way I did not expect. I rejoiced then for that unthought of passage that delivered me from the fear of the Egyptian. When I had almost despaired of life, I rejoice now as these things are fresh and lively in my mind. My soul melts when I think of thy days of old with me, when a poor worthless creature, without wisdom to direct or strength to help myself, was laid under the happy necessity of living upon thee and finding thy consolations large. Thou art my divine treasury in whom all fullness dwells, my life, hope, joy, peace, glory, end. May I be daily more and more conformed to thee, with the meekness and calmness of the Lamb in my soul, and a feeling sense of the felicity of heaven where I long to join angels free from imperfections, where in me the image of my adored Savior will be completely restored, so that I may be fit for his enjoyments and employments. I am not afraid to look the king of terrors in the face, for I know I shall be drawn, not driven, out of the world. Until then, let me continually glow and burn out for thee. And when the last great change shall come, let me awake in thy likeness, leaving behind me an example that will glorify thee. While my spirit rejoices in heaven, and my memory is blessed upon earth, with those who follow me praising thee for my life. Amen. All right, and our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 10th. The text is Isaiah forty four twenty two. 
I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Attentively observe the instructive sim similitude. Our sins are like a cloud. As clouds are of many shapes and shades, so are our transgressions. As clouds obscure the light of the sun and darken the landscape beneath, so do our sins hide from us the light of Jehovah's face and cause us to sit in the shadow of death. They are earth-born things and rise from the miry place of our nature. And when so collected, oh, I'm sorry, and when so collected that their measure is full, they threaten us with storm and tempest. Alas, that unlike clouds, our sins yield us no genial showers, but rather threaten to deluge us with a fiery flood of destruction. O ye black clouds of sin, how can it be fair weather with our souls while you remain? Let our joyful eye dwell upon the notable act of divine mercy, blotting out. God himself appears upon the scene, and in divine benignity, instead of manifesting his anger, reveals his grace. He at once and forever effectually removes the mischief, not by blowing away the cloud, but by blotting it out. Bl I'm sorry, but by blotting it out from existence once for all. Against the justified man, no sin remains. The great transaction of the cross has eternally removed his transgressions from him. On Calvary's summit, the great deed by which the sin of all the chosen was forever put away was completely and effectually performed. Practically let us obey the gracious command, return unto me. Why should pardoned sinners live at a distance from their God? If we have been forgiven all our sins, let no legal fear withhold us from the boldest access to our Lord. Let backslidings be bemoaned, but let us not persevere in them. To the greatest possible nearness of communion with the Lord, let us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, strive mightily to return. O Lord, this night restore us. All right. So like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John chapter 6. Um, and we're, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 15, which is the overall part we're concerned. We're, we're again going to take a small portion of that tonight um, to match on what we did for the last couple of evenings. But let's go ahead. And so I'm going to go ahead and read to you John 6 verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he was sitting down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where should we buy bread so that these people may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather, gather up the leftover pieces, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Therefore when the people saw the sign which he had done, they were saying, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. 
So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. All right. So those are our verses for today. Um, sorry, had something disturbed me there for a minute. So again, we've, like you, like I've said before, we came out of chapter five. Um, and in chapter five, again, we saw a miracle and then we saw a discourse by Jesus. Um, and we saw his defense. I mean, he basically had, had to defend himself. Now, honestly, he didn't have to, but he defended himself against the Jewish leadership. Um, and he did that. Um, and the final part of him doing that was calling witnesses. Um, he, he called the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of his own works, um, John, Jesus's own works. Um, and he called God himself as a witness. And then the, he did the, called the witness of the scriptures themselves. And he called out the Jewish leadership as to how poorly, as diligent as they were at studying, that they weren't grasping the fact that he was the one who was that, that he was how they got eternal life. Cause that's the thing he calls them out. He says, you, you know, you search looking for eternal life. And I'm paraphrasing here, but you need to look to me because I'm the one who brings it. I'm the one who I'm the one, the scriptures point to. I mean, he makes that very, very clear with them. <clears throat> so after having finished all that, we, again, we see him cross over to, and he's crossing over to the Northeast coast of, uh, the sea of Galilee. Um, and we see the crowd follow him. And again, we saw the fickle crowd it makes very clear. And it's really easy to misread it. Um, where people want to see this as, Oh boy, you know, um, verse two. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs, which he was doing on those who were sick and people want to go, Oh, these people are believing. No, 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 they're not just like, um, and John two, where we saw that towards the end, you know, it's uh, talked about people believing, but it was a believing that he was, he was this guy from God, believing he was this guy doing these miracles, but they did not believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the savior that was to come. They did not believe that. And, and it's true here too. This is that same group. They're, they're very, very fickle. They're following him because of what they can get from him. And we'll see him, um, in later verses in this chapter, um, make very, very clear to them. Um, in one case, he says very clearly, you follow me because of the bread I made for you because of the bread I gave you. So basically you're following me for a free meal. That's basically what he calls him out for. You're following me for, for a free meal. I mean, we'll even see that at, at what are God willing, what we'll deal with, with tomorrow that they're like, Oh boy, this guy can put food in our mouths. Oh boy, let's make him King. And that's not the purpose. That's not why Jesus is there. And I've made that kind of clear. And then we moved on into the faithless disciples. We dealt with that last night, um, where Jesus turned to Philip and said, well, where should we get bread for these people? Um, and Philip w was lost and he, he, he was like, are you kidding me? And of course, Jesus was testing his faith. And of course he came up wanting like we would. I mean, again, I'm not bashing Philip cause I'd be right there along with him, but he, he goes 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little, or in some versions to receive a taste. Um, again, that was eight months wages wouldn't feed these people. And then we see Andrew and we're thinking, oh boy, here, maybe Andrew's going to do it. He's one of the first, maybe he's going to do it. And he goes, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but then he falls down. But, 
but what are these for so many people? I, again, um, and, and again, like I, like I indicated then, you know, they're, they're just, they've seen him. They've seen him turn the water into wine and it was a lot of it. They've seen him heal the nobleman's son. They've seen him heal the man who's been lame 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. They've seen him do all this and they still show so little faith. I mean, they're following him and they're learning from him, but they're still showing such a weak faith. So, you know, our, our title then was the faithless disciples, disciples. Wow. Lost my voice there for a minute. So our section this morning, we're going to call the fulfilling dinner. And, and again, I, I told you a couple evenings ago, these, these, these section titles, they're from Dr. MacArthur. They're from John MacArthur. They're, they're not from me. Um, I don't take any credit for them. They're from him. They're just so good. I, I had to use them and we're doing a Bible study. Um, but they're just so good. I had to use them. Um, I'm not trying to steal them. I just, I had to use them. They're just so good. But so now we get to the fulfilling dinner and this is verses 10 through 13. So I'm going to reread them for you. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So Jesus told the people, told the disciples to have the people sit down in the much grass. And then he took the loaves and fishes and he gave, gave thanks to God for them. And he distributed, distributed them to the disciples to hand out to these people. And you need to note, and you need to note so you can stand against the people that want to strip the miraculous out of this. You need to note that enough food was given out that John the Apostle notes that it was as much as they wanted, not as much as they needed, not a little bit for everybody. Like, uh, what was it? Um, where Philip said 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little, or in some translations, a taste. So, <laughs> you know, you're not even talking one cracker worth, but as much as they wanted, these people are out in the middle of nowhere. They've not been eating. Okay. They've not been eating. They followed him out there. They had to walk all the way out here. And then they've been with him most of the day there. You know, he's been teaching, has been healing. And so many people want to strip the miraculous out of this. They try to say, oh, it was just kind of a group hypnosis. Everybody just didn't really want any and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they can say all that and say, okay, so they, they'll want to twist this where it says as much as they wanted. John, the apostle says it, they, um, where again, likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. Well, they say it, they didn't want much, but between that and the amount of leftovers and again, filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. These are not teeny tiny baskets. So, there's no, these people being hypnotized or something like that, or being satisfied with a little bit and no real miracle occurring. There is more left over than was there to begin with. There's more left over than was there to begin with. And they, and he fed 
the 5,000. Actually, he fed more than that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But verse 12 goes on to indicate that these people were filled. And when they were filled, they were filled. Again, it's, again, it's not this con job. And what I need to be clear about, and I brought it up last night, it's not just the 5,000. That's what we title it, and that's and it's titled that because that's the number they mention. Is, But it, they say, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. This was a crowd of more than men. And if, if, if you do the, the basic research and stuff with the appropriate number the, number, the reasonable number of women and children that would have been there, the proper estimate overall is fifteen to 20,000 people. So he took these five loaves and two fish, fed fifteen to 20,000 people, and there were 12 baskets, 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now, while studying this, I came across information that makes this miracle even more amazing. So when I hear five barley loaves and two fish, and, and just to let you know, I like to bake bread. Um, I like to do sourdough, but for some reason, my, my daughter-in-law keeps giving me sourdough and I'm able to keep it alive for a month or so. And then I end up letting it die. I get, I get lazy with it, but I love sourdough bread and, and I love to make sourdough loaf bread out of the discard. And, and there's a long, there's a long explanation of that and I'm not going to get into it with you, but well, when you, when you keep your sourdough alive, you discard part of it each time you fill back up. But you can use that discard. I make pancakes with the discard. You can make noodles with the discard. You can make loaf bread. But that loaf bread's pretty good size. I mean, think think of the loaf size you get at a grocery store. So when I hear five barley loaves and two fish, I think of five loaves about that size and two fish. Um, even a small catfish is a pretty good size fish, um, which honestly, you don't want to eat big catfish. They taste nasty. Just Just as a warning as neat as it might be to pull in this big catfish that's as big as your arm. Yeah, they taste awful. And I know that from experience. It's not just my opinion. I, I had to try it out because I was impressed and oh, it was awful. But anyways, but so that's what we think of. We think of these five big, big loaves of bread or decent sized loaves of bread, like what we'd get at the store and two fish, two decent sized fish. Well, let me be clear with you. It says five barley loaves. The barley loaf was the bread of the lowest part of society. The poorest of the poor ate barley loaves. And also these barley loaves were not the size of a loaf of bread as you and I would think of it. They were little tiny loaves. As R.C. Sproul indicated, they were about the size of a Twinkie. So he's basically got five little loaves of each about the size of a Twinkie. And the fish, we're not talking big fish. The fish were small, like the size of smoked herring or sardines. So basically what gets distributed, so, so again, that takes it from thinking, okay, this is five decent-sized loaves of bread and two decent-sized fish distributed to these 20,000 and get 12 baskets back. Oh, no, this is basically like five Twinkies and two sardines distributed to this 15 to 20,000 and we've got 12 basketfuls. Even if you just went from f the five Twinkies and the two sardines and don't even feed the 15 to 20,000 and end up with 12 basketfuls, that is amazing. But he fed them as much as they wanted 
And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. And a note, he's picking up at all because it's holy. It's blessed. I mean, it's not, I don't mean holy in a weird sense, but he's created this. He's using the power that created the universe that will bring Lazarus back to life, that will bring him back to life to create the bread for these people. And as we'll see, as we move through chapter six, he makes clear to them, I'm the bread of life. Well, here's the bread of life, creating bread for them to feed them and care for them. Again, five Twinkies and two sardines to feed at least 15,000 people and then gathering up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Again, as Dr. Sproul put it, Jesus filled them to their fullest. In the face of the death of John the Baptist, which we, we got out of the synoptics as we kind of broke down and looked at the synoptics over the last couple of nights. In the face of the death of John the Baptist, who is his relative? Is his relative, his blood relative, and his brother in the face, faith. The fickleness of this crowd that was pursuing him, and in the still struggling faith of his disciples, Jesus just performed this awesome, awesome miracle. And this is the case, like Jesus, Mark 6, 4, 4 through 6, and Jesus was saying to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was marveling at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. And this is, this is the lack of miracles at Nazareth. But John the Baptist has been beheaded. His brother in Christ, I mean, his brother in faith and, and actually a blood relative, this crowd who's following him. And, and again, we've seen clearly over our studies, he knows the hearts of men. His omniscience, his omniscience is manifesting. He knows exactly where they're coming from. He knows they're not coming after him because they believe him. They, they are not fulfilling what his mission is. I mean, he's fulfilling his mission. But they are not coming to a saving faith. They are not truly believing in, in him as the Christ, the Messiah. And then we see his disciples who have been with him and seen him work miracles, amazing miracles, not have clue one, not have any faith that this can be done. But what does Jesus do? He takes care of them anyways. In the face of the fickleness and unbelief of those around him. And in the face of the persecution that has happened in John 5 and that has happened to his brother in the faith, John the Baptist. Who jumped in the womb at the voice of Jesus's mother. Who jumped in the womb. But he takes care of them anyways. And to me, as amazing as the miracle is, that brings me comfort. It should bring us comfort. It should bring us joy, but it should bring us comfort. That no matter how much we stumble and fall, how fickle we are, how faithless we are. Because believe me, Way too often you and I look like that crowd and way too often you and I, and I, and I said it over the last couple of evenings, way too often you and I look like those disciples. We are so fickle and we have such weak faith. 
But the fact is, Jesus takes care of us anyways. The fact is, as weak as we are, as poor as our faith is, he still died to bring us to salvation. He still died to pay for our sins. And as crazy as this world is around us, and as nuts as everything is that is going on, and as more and more the persecution of the church increases in our time, though we call it that honestly, there are many that have that have truly faced persecution. But with what's going on towards us in this society, Jesus took care of us anyways, and he continues to do so. I mean, I'm sorry, he indwells us. The triune God indwells us and provides us the power and the ability to walk like Christ, to be imitators of Christ, to be imitators of God in this world and to accomplish it, to have the spiritual strength to stand in the face of it all. And that's what this, this miracle says to me. I mean, it, it's really, really awesome seeing him do that. And in him doing that, again, he makes clear claim to the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of God, so that in believing, both them believing and us believing, that we would have life in his name. We would have eternal life. That in believing that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that we would have eternal life. We would have a saving faith. And that they would have had a saving faith. He makes a, that's a clear declarative statement there in him feeding them like that and doing that awesome miracle. But what truly touches me today is not that Jesus is going to come along and give me a loaf of bread and a fish, you know, stick that in my lunch. Like I, like I mentioned that RC said about that, that these people, these fickle people, they, they were looking, looking for a loaf of bread and a fish in their lunch every day, you know, kind of the freebie, um, that's not what I get out of it. What I get out of it is that even in the face of all my fickleness and faithlessness and my, my weak face and my stumbling and my falling on my face, that Jesus Christ is still going to show love and mercy to me. And that's what we've got to know. And that's what has to strengthen us. It is really easy for us to sit there and mumble and go, and, and, you know, ball up in a fetal position. But what witness are we? What honor do we bring to God when we do that? We've got to go out in the confidence that this Jesus who fed all these people did this, such a, an amazing miracle in the face of their fickleness and faithlessness in the face of our fickleness and faithlessness will still energize and drive so that we will truly bring honor to God. And that is what the chief end of man is anyways, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right, let's go ahead and close. We're going to close with the six-day evening prayer. It's called the Mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall. 
the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and saviour. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service, as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments. But sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits, may we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope our time together, I thank you for spending this time with me and I hope our time together has been edifying for you. Um, again, I hope you have a good evening and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Music.